Is, is anyone else exhausted right now? And maybe exhausted isn't the right word. Uh, maybe frustrated, disappointed, upset, confused. Maybe those are better words. If that's you, I'm with you. And, and not just because of the pandemic and trying to educate my kid at home, not just because of the fires that are devastating our state, not just because of, of social injustice and the murder, death, and destruction we continue to see, and not just because of the growing divide in our country on a myriad of issues. It's all of it. Like all of those things are frustrating, disappointing, upsetting, confusing, and exhausting. And if you're like me, you attend church every week to try and discover how, as a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, how to respond to it all. Or, or to find comfort and hope when there isn't much of that going around. And sometimes I feel like if I can just learn more about God, it'll help with all that I'm feeling. But maybe the last thing any of us needs is more information about God. We need the practice of incarnation by which God saves the lives of those who, whose intellectual ascent has turned as dry as dust, who have run frightening low on the bread of life, who are dying to know more God in their bodies. Not more about God, more God. When my mentor sent me that quote by Barbara Brown Taylor a couple weeks ago, I was grateful and I was challenged. It actually reminded me of a quote from Pastor Steve Madsen that I have hanging in my office he, he told me one day, don't should on people, S-H-O-U-L-D, should. Don't should on people. Help them to seek the supernatural. And I was also convicted because of how often I attempt to learn more about God, do the right things for God, and don't live every day with God, centered and, and, and rooted in him as if Christ dwells within me. Now this was brought to light this week, uh, or actually the week before last, when my house was without power for seven consecutive days for five days in a row. And on the fifth day, I had had enough of sitting in my home during a heat wave without the ability to, to turn on a fan or open my fridge. So I called PG&E, which, which was an adventure, uh, because, you know, you go through those phone calls and it's like, please give us your request or give us your response. And it's like, that is not a valid request. It's, it's so frustrating. But I finally talked to a human being. And after 15 minutes of talking to that person, I became the, hey, let me talk to your supervisor guy. And when the supervisor got on the phone, like, I let her have it. I was so mad. She did, she did a great job of, of listening to my overly frustrated and angry words. She acknowledged my irritation and actually calmed me down a bit as she asked me questions about my family and our situation. As my anger subsided, I had the guilty feeling of knowing that I did not act or speak in a Christ-like manner. Especially as I talked about how difficult it was to work from home without power. And she said, oh, what do you do for a living? Uh, even more convicted, I said, I'm a general manager. And I ended the conversation. I mean, I generally manage people, but, uh, but, but I was lying. <laughs> what a terrible moment that was for me. You know, I, I spend a lot of time 
learning about God. I have committed my life trying to understand the character of God and how to implement what Jesus teaches into every area of my life and encourage others to do the same. But too often I forget why I do this. It's not simply to obtain information and acquire knowledge, but rather to learn to live out my life as a new creation alongside other believers in Christ, saved, justified, justified and redeemed through him. And I, and I know those are big words. So if you're, if you're new to church, we're going to do our best to unpack words like that and those words throughout our, throughout our series. But this is what everyday theology moves us toward. It's not so much about what we know, but rather it helps us recognize who we are and, and what we're part of. Not more about God, more God. And that's what Paul is doing in his letter to the Christians in Rome that we'll be studying throughout this, this series. Hey, here's some knowledge for you. I'm going to teach you. Yes, that's important, but it's not knowledge so that you can feel empowered and, and simply make it to heaven no, this is insight into who we were and who we are as a result of God's love for, for us and how that, how that infiltrates every fiber of our being and positions us to serve and love and have compassion, mercy, and grace for all people. Here's what scholar and theologian N.T. Wright has to say about this letter. He says, Romans is neither a systematic theology nor a summary of Paul's life work, but it is by common consent his masterpiece. It dwarfs most of his other writings, an alpine peak towering over hills and villages. We are here dealing with a work of massive substance, presenting a for formidable intellectual challenge while offering a breathtaking theological and spiritual vision. This is what we're processing together for the weeks to come in our series, Everyday Theology. And we're going to begin by jumping into Romans chapter 5, and, and I'll get to the, the first few verses of this chapter in a moment, but I want to dive into verse 6 to get us started today. So go ahead and turn your Bible or Bible apps to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Here's what Paul writes. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The right time for Christ to die was not when we all got our act together. It was when we were still powerless, when we didn't have the ability to, to be better or do better or save ourselves when we wanted to have patience, when our electricity went out in our home, when we wanted to, to not fear everything that was going on around us, when we, when we wanted to get past the addiction or beyond the self-imposed pain. This is our reality. We do not have the power to get beyond the broken relationships, the ways we hurt ourselves, hurt others, and hurt God. Or in, others, or in other words, we do not have the power to get beyond our sin. We have to acknowledge the reality of us, that we are, what does Paul say here at the end of verse 6? We are ungodly. Now, I, I read that and I'm like, Paul, you, you don't even know me. Who are you to call me ungodly? 
And then Paul would say back to me, Steve, how arrogant of you to think that this is all about you. First of all, this is written to the Christians in Rome. It's applicable to you, but this isn't about you in a bubble. It's about all of humanity. Okay, Paul, I I got it. Let's look at it like this. God is perfect. Human beings are imperfect. And, And saying that is not a stretch. Every major religion believes those things about God and humanity, that God is perfect and humans are imperfect. So if God is perfect and we are imperfect, or we could even change the prefix here, we are unperfect, I'm sure that's sound English, we are unperfect, and godly equals perfection, then we are consequently, what? Ungodly. Turn to someone next to you and tell them that they are ungodly. I'm kidding. I mean, don't do that. It's true, but, but you don't have to tell them. They, they, they know. Um, we're all ungodly. And here's why. Look at what Paul writes in verse 12 of this same chapter. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Now right here, Paul is unpacking sin's introduction into the world. And and the thing that that we have to understand is that sin, as Paul uses it here, is a noun. You know, so often we look at at sin as a verb, as, as an action, but it's also a noun. It's a thing, and it's a thing that produces sinning. It's a noun that that produces a verb. And wherever sin goes, Paul says, death goes with it. And here's what we have to understand: the real death that came was the death of a relationship. It is a communal God who creates humanity. God God said, let us make humans in our image. There's a communal aspect to God. God is community. And humans are created to be the image of God among the rest of creation. And that image that we are created in is also communal. Look at Adam and Eve. And and the violation of trust that occurs in Genesis chapter 3, it damages all of the relationships. It damages humans with God, with one another, with our own self-understanding, and with the land or the rest of creation. The result of broken relationship is not just physical death for humans, but the death of relationship with the Creator. And the first instance of this is with the first version of us, Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. See, God's creation had a choice to break the relationship with God. And God's creation chose to do that. It looks like this. We've got a a way to represent this for us today. It looks like this. This was the original creation. All clear and, and perfect and good and unblemished, just how God intended it to be in relationship with God. But then, but then sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, it muddied all of that, and it actually broke the relationship with God. It shattered that relationship that we were created for. It messed our original intention up. And from that point on is... You and I and and everyone else came into the world, Paul says, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. 
In this way, we were all born imperfect, ungodly. I mean, this is why we have a difficult time seeing the, the image of God in ourselves and in others. Why, why relationships are shattered. Why grace, compassion, and mercy elude us. Why we do bad things and see other people do bad things. When we wonder why, why so-and-so turned out so mean that they would yell at the innocent customer service reps at PG&E. I mean, what terrible person would ever do such a thing? Or, or, or why he can't get past that thing, or, or she acts in a way that's just not right. What happened to him? What happened to her? Well, this right here is what happened. It was always in them. Because when we were born, this is what we were born into. No one has to teach us to do this. Have you ever noticed that? That no one has to teach us how to sin? I mean, we, we just know how to sin. And, and, and I'd argue that we're pretty good at it, too. This is what we are. And it's not fair. It's wrong. But it's the reality. And then comes the solution. Check out verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Don't miss this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The perfect, unblemished, clear, whole, holy Christ died for us for us while we were still sinners Christ died for us for you and for me we are sinners we're just like the original version of us and Jesus dies for all of us ungodly people to restore the relationship with God this is proof of God's love for us we can't fix it we can't change it so he took care of it through the sacrifice that only he could make. He took all of this on for us. You know, in another letter, Paul wrote, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And that gives us an opportunity. Go back to verse 1 of Romans chapter 5. Here's how, here's how this, this, this chapter starts from Paul. He writes, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We are given access to this life, to life in Christ by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Now, now that word that, that came up in that verse, that word justified, that's a big word. And, and here's what justified means. It means being made right with God. Bringing the relationship back together that we were originally created to be in. No longer is it fractured. Because we're justified. We're made right. And here Paul says we have access to the relationship again through Jesus. If you want some, some insight into justification, Pastor Clint from our Brentwood campus has prepared a Bible study for us that, that can be found on our website on this topic. 
encourage you to check that out this week and and uh, maybe you can gain a little more understanding about this idea of justification. But, but you see, the, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus, what Jesus did, the thing that Jesus did while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. That thing that Jesus did, that forgiveness of sins that came through Jesus is not the end. Forgiveness from God is the means to the end. It is the means to the relationship with him. And restored relationship with God is a free gift on the basis of Jesus's action, not our action. Which that right there, that's an inverted idea from every other major religion. To to, to be a Christ follower is is to be someone at peace with God in relationship with him. To be a church is to be a group that is living that relationship out in community. This is what saves us. But what's, what's really fascinating about this, and something that gets too easily confused, especially when we read so much about salvation and, and being saved, is that we can tend to think that this thing that Jesus did is just about an individual person getting into heaven. That's why he did it, to get me into heaven, my own individual salvation. I have faith in Jesus, so my eternity is secure. Here's the deal. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. I love how Eugene Peterson puts this in the message translation of of part of Romans chapter 5. Here's what Peterson writes. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, don't miss this, more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. You see, this isn't just about trying to to sprinkle in some, some Jesus here and there to try and repair our lives. To, to do some good works, to make sure that Jesus is happy with us, that, that God's good with us, to make sure, you know, we, we kept up with our, our Bible reading plan on our Bible app because I want God to be happy with me today because if I do this, then God will do that. Or, or, or I'm making sure I watch, I, I attend church on, online five times this week because I know God will be really pleased if I do that. And if I do that, then everything's going to go really well. I'm just going to sprinkle in these good works to make God happy with me so that my eternity is secure. Here's the deal. This isn't just about heaven or doing enough so we can get to heaven. It's about right now. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in this life. Jesus got us into life. It's not just about our own individual salvation. Yes, of course, that's part of it. But it's not just about you. It's not just about me. Don't miss the redemption, reconciliation, righteousness, and justice for all of creation we are brought into with Jesus. Paul is saying, I want to teach you how to live in this, in Christ. Right now you're living in sin. I want to teach you how to live in Christ. Because when we live in Christ, it transcends the death and destruction around us. It reconciles the relationship with God and invites us to be part of his plan for redemption and restoration. 
See, when we live in the one who did the most loving thing in human history, it prompts us in every situation, in every conversation to ask, what does love require of me? It brings hope. It brings justice. We are the righteousness of God bearing his image in all of this mess. We become part of the solution. This is what we step into. We step into life in Christ. But not just through adding some Jesus here and there. Not just doing the, if I do this, God will do that thing. No, that's not it. Again, Paul is teaching us and helping us to understand the reconciliation that came through Jesus, the one we get to live in. Each and every single one of us, when we step out of what we were born into and we step into Christ, we live in Him. We're not clouded any longer. Not clouded by the frustration and hurt and pain around us. We live in this. It's way bigger than anything that's going on around us right now. It's way more powerful, way more secure, way more hopeful. That's what it means to live in Christ. The one who washes away our sin, who cleanses us. His blood saves us from ourselves, from our sin, from our death, from all of this restoration for creation came through him. Look at verse 9. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We no longer live with all the muddiness and cloudiness and death and destruction. He cleanses us. There's a reunion with God. You see, this is what we, we are saved from. And this, 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 that's what we're saved from. And this right here, this is what we're saved to. The one who reconciles the broken relationship and reunites us to God. You know, when my, when my family lost power in our, in our home during the heat wave for, for those five days, it would eventually kick back on every night around 9 or 10 p.m. And I, and I know I'm, I'm complaining a lot. Like I realize that this is such a first world pro problem and, and people are facing way more dire circumstances with, with the fires going on and, and, and everything else going on around our world right now. And here I am whining about electricity. All that's not lost on me, but just being honest, um, every night when, when the power was restored, I would stand in our kitchen underneath the AC vent and I would raise my hands up toward the vent like I was praising it. And I would just stand there for way longer than I should have, like eyes closed, swaying back and forth. You might've seen someone like this on a Sunday morning. This was me in front of our AC vent. And as I stood there, I would, I would think about what I was experiencing now and comparing it to what I had experienced before. You see, the cool air that I was feeling was saving me from so much frustration. It was saving me from heat to being refreshed. It was saving me from stress and anxiety to peace. It was saving me from anger to joy, from perceived pain to comfort. As we read the first four chapters of Romans, we see a lot of what we're being saved from and what we are being saved to. 
from wickedness, evil, greed, depravity that we see in this world, from agony, pain, and hurt that we experience from others and that we enact toward others, from death, from the shattered relationship. And we are being saved to peace, comfort, perseverance, character, righteousness, hope, joy, love, and life, reunified, reconciled with God. Life in Christ means we become more and more like Christ. He, he saves us from all that distorts, dilutes, and clouds what, what we could be and what God intends for us to be. When we live in Christ, we are whole and alive together with Him, centered in His love, justified, made right through His life, through His death, and through His resurrection. And that is worthy of our praise. That is, well, that is way more worthy of our praise than what I was experiencing from the AC vent that day. Life in Christ is worthy of our praise. You know, the kingdom of God is the domain in which the communal God, remember we talked about that earlier, that God is communal. The communal God lives in relationship with the new creation that was made possible by the one who has conquered sin and death. To be in Christ is to participate in his, in his grace. It is to be relationally made whole with God, with others, with self, and with the rest of creation. This salvation expresses God's presence and outlook on all aspects of existence. You see, every other relationship with humans is seen through the lens of God's image. We, we view the rest of creation with, with relational compassion. You know, this includes feeling pain when we see another image bearer of God, like Jacob Blake, being shot in the back seven times. Seeing that should pain us. I don't care what his past is or what you think he should have been doing or shouldn't have been doing. No one deserves that. I mean, thank God we all don't get what we deserve. And just so we're clear, we also feel pain in how wrong it is when police officers are murdered. We feel pain when families are broken apart, when someone dies from COVID, COVID, when someone's home burns down or any part of God's creation is destroyed. We feel how wrong all of this is. Because those things sit in this space, separated from God. But those of us who live in Christ, we have entered into relationship with God and we are hurt when his creation is hurt. We hurt when we see injustice. We hurt when we see pain. We have compassion for all of it. I mean, church, Cornerstone Fellowship was founded in this mission from God to go after people's pain. Pastor Steve has said this countless times, that when he started this church, he heard very clearly from God to enter into hurt, excuse me, with anyone he came across. And so for about 30 years, we lament as a church together whenever we see injustice or pain that anyone suffers. This is who we are. This is what we're part of. This is what we live in and what lives in us that we might bring about this reconciliation and reunification into all of creation, not just for us, but to those around us. Uh, I'll, I'll close with this. Uh, a couple nights ago, I called one of my, one of my former students from 
when I led the high school ministry at Cornerstone. And his name is Quincy. He lives in San Diego now and had to work at 4.30 the next morning. So he was super excited that I called him at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, we just talked for a couple minutes. Um, but we got the chance to, to reflect back on some of the fun times we had when he was in high school. And we talked about some of the frustrating times, or frustrating for me at least, uh, like when he slapped my back really hard on a mission trip in Haiti and I tackled him in front of all the Haitians, uh, or, or the time he brought uh, fireworks on a student leadership retreat to Twain Hart. Um, he claimed he asked for permission from his small group leader, but all I remember was him asking for forgiveness after I caught him with the fireworks. Uh, he said, yeah, that whole asking for forgiveness and not permission thing, you taught me. I was like, okay, cool, thanks, man. Uh, Quincy was such a knucklehead, but he was also a great young man. He was when he was in high school, and, and he is now. And you know, he, he kind of disconnected from God for a little bit after high school, um, but now he is, he is firmly rooted in relationship with him. And he was actually one of our key volunteers at our Hayward campus with our, with our high school students there. And when I asked him during that call about what Jesus means to him, he just said, Steve, me and Jesus get along really well. We have a relationship. And then he paused and then he said, you know what? I really miss my students. And I said, well, that's, that's not what I asked you. Well, what do you mean by that? Why'd you say that? He said, he said Steve, I, I feel Jesus when I'm with other people. When I spent time with those students, I got to be real with them. We were able to try and figure out life in Jesus together. We discovered that it's okay to ask questions and have the freedom to pursue what is on our heart because even in the midst of confusion and doubt, Jesus always wins. I'm just sitting there in awe of the words that are coming across the phone. And then my, my knucklehead former student started sharing Bible verses with me from memory. He talked about how much James chapter 1 means to him and how life in Christ isn't always butterflies and rainbows. But there is joy in the trials and it helps us grow, which is a lot like what Paul writes in verses 2 through 4 in Romans chapter 5. Quincy also told me about how every time he prays the Lord's Prayer, he recognizes that God has created us for a, pur for a purpose. That when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he hears that as God saying, Quincy, you have a role to play in bringing my kingdom to my creation. And I can tell you that so many of our students in Hayward have experienced the kingdom of God because of Quincy. Through giving kids food and rides and whatever they need, just, just being present with them. They saw how Jesus transformed his life and it caused transformation in them. David, Dean, Mari, Kristen, Carlita, Andrew, and many more would tell you how true this is of Quincy. I am so proud of him. He gets what Paul was speaking to here in Romans chapter 5. It's not just about learning more about God. It's about living in Christ and Christ living in us. That when, when we live in Christ, we are restored into relationship with him. But that relationship spills over into everyone we come in contact with. You know, what I've seen in Quincy is my prayer for all of us. That we would understand our role in bringing the love, redemption, liberation, and reconciliation of Christ to spill over into all of God's creation. That they might 
be able to experience his, his love, his joy, his peace, his grace, his mercy, his mercy, his compassion, his life. Let me pray for us before we get a chance to worship together. Father God, in the midst of everything that's going on in our world and everything we're experiencing and all the trials we go through and, and just, just everything going on right now, God, I'm glad that we have an opportunity to live in you, to experience your peace when it seems like there's just no peace anywhere, to experience your hope when that is just so fleeting right now. God, to experience your life and the abundant, vibrant, passionate, real life that is as we understand who we are as a part of your kingdom, God. That we get to live out what it means to be in Christ right here in your creation, loving your creation, loving your people, loving everyone we come in contact with, God, so that they might know that hope and joy and peace that we know. Father, let us understand that as much as you love us, God, that you love all of us. Father, help us to not be too focused on ourselves. Help us to think about others. Help us to think about those that are hurting, those that are in pain. God, utilize us in powerful ways to bring about your, your restoration, your reconciliation, that God, more people would be reunified to that relationship with you. Father, we adore you. We praise you. We're going to spend some time doing that right now, worshiping and honoring the one who is so worthy of our praise. We love you, Father. Pray this in your son's matchless and powerful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love you guys. So glad you're with us. Let's, let's spend some time worshiping together.